Hello everybody, this is Doug Fine and I am with the Defined Engagement Bookcast. I talk to engaging people, mostly authors. Today is a special day for me. We're talking with Tom Peters, the one and only. He's an author, consultant, entrepreneur, he's a leadership shaman, and he is a force of nature. Tom's authored 19 books, but we're going to be talking about his latest book. It's Excellence Now, Extreme Humanism. Tom Peters, it's my pleasure, my privilege. I'm stoked to be talking to one of my gurus. Thanks for being with me today. Enjoy, everybody. And I welcome everybody to the Defined Engagement Bookcast. My name is Doug Fine, and I have Tom Peters in front of me, virtually, but in front of me. And I'm just so pleased and proud and excited to have you with me today, Tom. You're you are one of my heroes, and you're going to see, I'm going to give a personal introduction to you, and you'll see kind of how you have influenced me in my life over the years. Uh, you may not believe it when I tell you this stuff. So here we go. I was an undergraduate liberal arts major, theology to be exact. When I got into Tulane University's MBA program, the first business-related book I ever bought was Tom Peters' first book, In Search of Excellence. In my first job as a civilian after being a naval officer, I stumbled upon a phrase that Tom used in his 1994 book, The Tom Peters Seminar, Crazy Times Call for Crazy Organizations. The phrase was, become a thunder lizard evangelist in whatever you are pursuing. I think he was quoting Guy Kawasaki. At that time, we were working on an improving customer service at a renowned medical enterprise in New Orleans. It wasn't long before my team and I were sending plastic lizards and lizard jigsaw puzzles through the inner office mail to all our leaders exhorting, exhorting them to become a TLE themselves. While working in New Orleans, I had the pleasure of hearing Mr. Peters twice. I could only describe the experience as similar to watching a caged tiger moving back and forth with power, presence, and occasional roars. I saw Mr. Peters live and up close, up very close as he bounced around the room and even getting in between the audience's tables, again, up close and personal. Yes, he shouted at us at times to only make his points. When I got to my next job in Augusta, Georgia, I gave each of my new team a copy of Tom's 1991 book, the professional services firm, 50, reinventing work, 50 ways to transform your department, quote, department in quotes, into a professional service firm whose trademarks are passion and innovation. I was the new director of organization development and professional learning, and I wanted to make a difference and inspire my team to think of our work and our department in a different way. I initiated service evaluations for all our internal departments, such as finance, purchasing, environmental services, food service, HR, and yes, my department. Actually, we reigned supreme in all those surveys. At this same hospital where I worked, I started an underground event I called the Boss Project. Boss stood for blowing off steam socially. These were after work events where anyone in leadership could call a boss project meeting at any time at any friendly watering hole of their choice. 
I sent the anonymous invitation to all leaders in the org, including the C-suite and the CEO. People were not amused. And the invitation to the first boss project became an item for the senior leadership meeting agenda. Blowing off steam apparently was a subversive idea. I would have never done such a thing unless I believed that doing it was in keeping with the Tom Peters attitude about trying new things, taking risks and enjoying the ride of work and life. Almost done, Tom. Later at another hospital, I was compelled to ask a question that needed to be asked of our CEO to benefit the learning of the 120 other leaders at an offsite retreat that I was responsible for. He was entirely too thin-skinned, shared his unhappiness with me with the question, and I was fired four days later. Maybe I can blame Tom for that, but the question had to be asked. I view Tom Peters as a rare force of nature. His passions and belief about doing things, calling out bullshit when he sees it, are his trademark. I looked forward, I looked up the word juggernaut as I was trying to find a good word to describe him. It means an overwhelming or unstoppable force. Tom Peters has been a cattle prod in my work life, always encouraging me to experiment, try new things, to look skeptically at celebrity business execs, and to forge my own path despite any setbacks. Oh yeah, and I love and appreciate the be there for my people. I've failed a lot over the years too, have not come close to being super successful in much. I've gotten, my, gotten in my own way and done a number of stupid ill-advised things over the years, but Tom has been an ever inspirational man to keep moving, to keep me moving and make a difference in what I'm doing. I'm here to talk with Mr. Peters about his 19th book, Excellence Now, Extreme Humanism. He described it as his memoir and says outright that it will be his last book. So it's sort of like his last will and testament to his readers and his readers to come. Tom will be remembered and his work read in the future, no doubt. So we better get this book, devour it and do something with it. If not now, then when? If not now, then never. And that would be like in Tom's words, a damn shame. Welcome, Tom Peters, to the Defined Engagement Bookcast. Again, welcome to this little room where we can chat for a few minutes. Thank you for being here. Well, you're making it incredibly hard for me to respond. That was, I mean, I'm almost teary-eyed. That was, <laughs> I don't know. It's all true. It's all true. It's, uh, you know, anyway, I really, really, really appreciate that. You know I what, wanna... there, are, there are a lot of people that feel that way. You know that, you know, I, I just know that there, that could be said by many, many other individuals in business in the country and around the world. So I'm just well, one of them, but you have been hugely. Yeah. And one thing about you saying it. By a factor of 100, 100 to one, I would rather have that comment from you that than from the CEO of a Fortune 25 company. Mm -hmm. I didn't write the damn book for him. <laughs> and uh, 
you know, I, I, I said to somebody, I, you know, was going through piles and piles and piles and piles and piles of stuff and including some where people had said nice things. The only, only notes and letters that I saved uh, were the ones from school principals and fire chiefs mm -hmm. and even the occasional priest and preacher, mm -hmm. including the number two guy in the Episcopal diocese in New York city. Uh, and it's, it's those lives. That's my aim. And also the other problem, frankly, is that last time I heard there are only 500 CEOs of the fortune 500 and I'm much more, well, I, I want to say there are a couple things I say, I'm going to react to that. Uh, the other reason, in a way, that you were my target audience mm -hmm. is that book, The Professional Services Firm. Mm -hmm. 50. Mm -hmm. It was probably my worst seller. Yeah. And it, it was, now here's the most arrogant phrase you've heard in a long time. If it had been a bestseller, we could have kept millions of American jobs onshore instead of sending them offshore. Yes, because it's, a, I mean, what do we call a department? We call it a cost center. We call it overhead as in the, um, oh God, what was it that we did? There was some kind of consulting project. I don't remember what it was at McKinsey. And it was basically, we were there to give CEOs cover for cutting their staff. Yeah, we even called it right sizing, didn't we? Yeah, no, absolutely right sizing. It was so pathetic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I really believed, as I said, that any seven person or 77 person, quote unquote, department could become a superstar value adder, uh, doing work outside the firm's edges, turned on people. And it's, it is always flat out pissed me off that that one was not the best. That's the yeah. only one I want to be a bestseller. Wow. Wow. Well, I, I think I bought seven copies for you, Tom. So, so I'm, you know, two more things about your your introduction. Yeah. Uh, relative to the speaking style, the two one, there was a Financial Times review of my reimagined book in 2003. And part of it, part of their line was as a speaker, he's a combination of Billy Graham and Sid Vicious. Yeah. Other than your remarks a couple of minutes ago, doesn't get any better than Age that. Tiger, yeah, yeah. And the oh, final one I'll make, which is remark I'll make, which is really important, is you know when we started the book, a lot of the reason it sold well is the Japanese were beating the crap out of us, and mm -hmm. the Americans at that point weren't using, used to being beaten up. And so I got to know a fair amount, including through a very good friend, about Japanese companies. And we think about Japanese companies as rigid and hierarchical. And it's true, comma. Yeah. But and I don't know whether this is true in 2021. So you know, right. forget about relevance. In the old days, they had a ritual. And the ritual was you're the boss, I'm the member of the HR department or finance mm -hmm. department. On Friday afternoons, we would go out drinking. Mm -hmm. And the following two characteristics: one, we would get shit faced drunk, <laughs> and two. It was to let off steam and really let off steam. I mean, I would look you in the eye as my boss and I would call you a son of a bitch in the most miserable. Really? 
on earth. And that was a ritual. And, you know, and, and it was a ritual, but nonetheless, it, it worked to a significant degree. And so your, your, uh, your, your, your boss thing you wanted to do, I think is absolutely fabulous. And uh, uh, zero surprise at the uh, low reception. Oh, well, we, we are in the buckle of the Bible Belt, too, so that didn't help, you know, but they really got, they got paranoid about blowing off steam. It was like, that's, if, if they're blowing off steam, they're saying something bad about us, and they didn't yeah. like that, so, yeah. hey, Tom, I, I actually, anyway, um, we can go on to the so-called meat, but I must, I just wanted to tell you that. Well, I appreciate it, honestly. Uh, I'll send you a couple of things that I produced way back when. I'll just email them to your, your staff and they can, you can see it. Because I, I couldn't sleep last night, so excited to talk to you. So I went wow. back into my ar archives and found some flyers and stuff. The original flyer of the Boss Project. So. Um, oh, cool. Do yeah, it is cool. Okay, so uh, we don't have much time. But tell me, uh, you... You get pissed off still that almost there are a lot of people that don't listen to you, don't buy your books, continue to practice uh, antiquated Neanderthal um, companies, uh, all ego, uh, no giving credit to the people that really do the work, all that. You know it's still going on. And I heard you talk with um, Mark Crowley. He's the one that wrote Leading with the Heart. Yeah. And you... He asked you, Tom, why aren't they listening? Why aren't leaders listening to you? Why aren't they listening to us? Why, why, why? And even in your book, Extreme Humanism, you go, you know, I don't get it. Why aren't you getting this? You're, and you actually say, I'm begging you to do this and be this for your people. I'm begging you. And um, what's in the way? What has gotten in the way? And is it, are we ever, we're going to have to keep working to change uh, cultures and things. But it, it must be very discouraging for you that you your whole life advocated for a different way of leading and, and still we're, we're, we're suffering from the same kind of uh, stupid mistakes and the arrogance of leaders. Well, there are, there are a lot of ways to respond. I did say I was discouraged that I didn't launch a tidal wave. But another part of me isn't discouraged because of what you said in the introduction. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. I described it to somebody one time. I said, when Tony Robbins gets in a room with a thousand people, he expects to change a thousand lives, mm -hmm. as did mm -hmm. Billy Graham. Mm -hmm. When I get mm -hmm. in a room with a thousand people, if four people come out of that seminar yeah. and say, I mean, the, the, my favorite comment that I've had people come up to me after the seminar, my favorite comment of all is, thank you. I don't feel as stupid as I did anymore. Oh yeah. And so I don't plan on batting a thousand. I don't even plan on batting a hundred, but you know, there's something in, and, and you may know the answer to this. There's something uh, in Israel, maybe it's in Jerusalem where if you save one life, you plant a tree. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I don't think that's exactly right, but it, but it is directionally right. I remember uh, you saying in your talk, if, if I'm if I'm wrong, let me know. But I think you said, if you don't get anything out of this day, just go do one thing. Go make one little change Monday morning. Yeah. And, and get going because that's how it, that's how it works. But you did say that, right? 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and my my slightly more modern equivalent, yeah. which actually wanted to be the title of my prior book, not this one, is Excellence is Not a Hill to Climb. Excellence is Not an Aspiration. Excellence mm. is the Next Five Minutes. Yes, sir. Right. And, and you know, I, I mean, one example of that, I, I checked my outrageous comment out. Uh, I said, I wrote whatever, tweeted, I said, if Ms. Mr. Boss, if you will give me 10, a sample of 10, 10 line emails that you have written, mm -hmm. I can do a complete, technically accurate psychiatric diagnosis of you as a person. Oh, my. And I have, I have a friend who's a big deal psychiatrist. And I, and I said to him, I said, Steve, is that a load of BS or not? And he said, it's a load of BS, but not by much. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I mean, you, you know, it's let me give the tiniest, tiny, tiniest story. Uh, there was an issue that came up and my wife and I are not youngsters and we need people to help us, you know, figure out how to use the uh, royalties that you and your friends have sure. provided to take care of our kids yep. and so on. So there was a problem. And so we got a, a new, new financial advisor. Right. And when I would get emails from them, her in particular, who was the one who was taking care of our business, the email would always start out, hi, Tom, comma, space, hope things are going well. This is long mm -hmm. before the pandemic. Right. And then after the professional commentary, she would say, you know, take care of yourself, give Susan my best, comma, Barbara. And what I realized, it was like a light bulb going off. I don't do that. Ah. Oh. You know, in the, in the average email, it's, you know, let's get down to business. Don't play the crap. You know, we got to do it. You know, we got a deadline. The deadline's coming up this afternoon. You're going to make the deadline. You're not going to make the deadline. It's just total hard ass, unemotional. And I thought, OMG, uh, this little touch is not trivial. Right. It humanizes, humanizes the whole thing. Why don't people do it? Uh, I've, I have some theories and I've heard other theories. One, and unfortunately we don't have time to go into all this stuff, is that the average boss is insecure as hell. Mm -hmm. And I suspect mm -hmm. there's some truth to that. Yeah. And second one, you know, the other one that, that I would say, and you know, I, I, it is hyperbole to, to some extent, uh, too damn many of the bosses went to business school. Yeah. And the business school model is, spreadsheets beat human beings mm -hmm. any day and uh you know my i've said in the book and you've heard me say it probably in speeches my life in six words is hard is soft soft is hard the hard stuff the numbers the plans that's all abstractions you it you could know? be gun decked huh yeah we, the hard you know, stuff can I, be gun decked multi-trillion dollar recession in 2006 because there were derivatives of derivatives of derivatives and at the bottom excuse my language there was nothing but shit mm -hmm. uh, and the numbers looked good on a spreadsheet the reality was it was a dung heap uh, and then the other one is the i mean then the other side which soft is hard we call relationships soft yeah. what a crock of crap right you know the essence of life 
pre-artificial intelligence, post-artificial intelligence is the set of relationships that I carry around. And, you know, I do it because I enjoy our conversation, but I do it for pragmatic reasons. You know, if, if I work on a project with you and this seven week project is over and I'd like to work on another good project in the company, what's the best determination of whether I'm going to get a good project? It's going to be the relationship you and I have. Yeah. You go to your friend, Mary, and you say, oh, my God, I had Tom Peters on my project for seven weeks. You wouldn't believe his attitude. You wouldn't believe the quality of work. Yes, yes. And I end up on Mary's great project team. Yes. And, and, you know, and so that's the real hard stuff. I want to read, read a quote from your book. Um, you're talking about evaluations, employee evaluations, let's say. And you say, effective evaluations emerge from a series of loosely structured continuing conversations, not from filling out a form every six months or a year. And that's really what I, I get some, um, I get happy when I hear about this whole idea of having regular one-on-one -on -one meetings with your people every week without fail. It's their meeting. You, you provide the, your time as a leader, but they get to come in and you build that relationship. It's not about the nuts and bolts. It's about, you know, uh, goosing the people so they feel good about you as a boss and they feel good about their work. And it's, it's all relationships. So you, you are, you're all totally on the right track with extreme humanism. And it shows up on the bottom line. Yes. There's a quote from John DeJulius, who's a customer service guy and ran a big chain of, uh, I think it was health spas. It started and ran a big chain of health spas. And his one-liner, which sounds like uh, a gooey, gooey thing, isn't? He said, remember, your customers will never be any happier than your employees. Yeah. And that's biblical, you know, in its, in its power. And it's, and, it's, and it's absolutely true. Uh, I, I, I hope... And it will be true to some extent. I hope to a big extent. I hope that the things I've talked about, that you've talked about, that we're talking about, will be embedded to a significantly greater degree post-pandemic mm -hmm. than pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. That to make it through the pandemic with our team, uh, we've got to pay attention to them as individuals. Yeah. And, and here, here's, my, here's my pandemic lesson, and I'm deadly serious about this. Uh, I'm your boss, and you're on my team of group department of mm -hmm. 15 people, and life remains complex. And so we've got three or four Zoom meetings a week, and we've now been doing the Zoom meeting thing for a couple months. And I, you and I are having a virtual hallway chat yeah i say to you i got a problem with you and my problem is that we have had 23 meetings and you've showed up on time for all 23 of them and i said that pisses me off <laughs> i do it smile and i said listen you and i have gotten to know each other over these last couple of years and i know you have a mother who's in an assisted living place who needs a hand mm -hmm. And I know your wife is a third grade teacher and she's actually teaching from the second floor of the house. 
And, you know, to use crude language, there's a lot of shit going down. Yes. As far as I'm concerned, I want you to be late to every meeting. I want you to skip meetings. I want to take care, want you to take care of your family, including your moms. And, and, you know, don't, don't think about second, double, second digit productivity. Right. And obviously smiling. And I'm not going to give you a, a bad grade for that, but it's, you know, I, I want, and the thing then, as we both know, is, you know, crudely speaking, I just boosted the hell out of my team's productivity. Yes. You will, you will walk through fires for me. Absolutely. That. And that's not why I'm doing it, because I couldn't have pulled it off unless it was an, an intimate conversation based on a decent relationship. But that is the reality. Well, I want to, I want to, when you were in Vietnam, I bet your people said, CBs are famous for can do easy, right? I, I, we had a CV battalion, little battalion in, at Naval Station, New York, when I was there as a lieutenant commander, leading it, a young little bald ensign. That was the ensign of these guys. And it was always can do easy. And so I think that, that you, you, you led that way. Now, you've, you've probably had to learn a lot since, but you probably, you knew you weren't going to get anything out of people um, with that, with just ordering them around kind of thing. It's just... Well, there's several ways to answer that. Number one, I got lucky. Yeah. You had and a great CEO. Incredible commanding officer who I considered to be my most significant influence in my life, including my mom and dad. You said that in your book. Yeah, and then the night we arrived in Vietnam, he got all us little pissant 24-year-old junior officers together. And he said, boys, I want you to have a good deployment over the next nine months. And he said, I'll tell you what the key is. You will do whatever your chief petty officers tell you to do. And if you don't, I'm going to hear about it. I know. Yeah. So that, was, that was the beginning. The, other, the second thing I would say is, unfortunately, uh, what you said is to a significant degree wrong. I came out, I came into Vietnam after a wonderful five-year engineering course at Cornell. I had no leadership training. Right. I did not treat the people who worked mm. for me particularly well. And I learned the hard way. In fact, I went after my deployment, I think this was in the book too. I went back to Cornell and went into the civil engineering dean's office. And I yep. will not sailor's language I used, but I said, you screwed me. Yeah. If I come out of Cornell with a degree after five years, guess what? Within six months, I'm going to be a project manager of something, some little construction project. And the moment I become a project manager in my entire life is about people, <laughs> not structural engineering. Yeah. And I was completely unprepared and I was mad about it. But it's another one, it's another related story that, again, with your Navy background, you'll appreciate. Um, I got an email from a guy sent to me by somebody else. And he said, uh, and I'm, you're, if, if I talk too much service stuff that needs translation, you can, you can sort it out for me. As a junior officer, he came on board a supply ship. Yep. And his commanding officer, new commanding officer, got him together for the first conversation. And he said, Tom, I know you're well-trained and I know you know how to do your supply core job. He said, I am not going to evaluate you on how well you do your supply core job. 
I am going to evaluate you solely on how well the young enlisted men who work for you do. Mm -hmm. How many of them get promoted? Mm. How many of them take educational courses? He said, that's my evaluation, 100% of it. How do the people you are in charge of grow during the 12 or 18 or six months they work for you? And I thought that was just awesome. I mean, I love the part. You're trained as a supply corps officer. You know the technical half of your job. You know, I'm not going to pay any attention to that because I expect you to do the damn thing. And that mentality is totally transferable to business. And, and organizations. Business hey, Tom, or anything else, you know, Tom, to nonprofits. Shelly is going to, Shelly is probably showing her watch right here and going, these two men won't listen to me, haven't listened to me. So I have to, I have to honor her request. And well, you got to mainly, but she tries to just be damage control. I'm more than happy for us to go on for a little bit. Really? As she warned you, I've talked too much. So Shelly, you're okay with this? Blink, blink once, blink once if you're okay with this, because Tom, it's thrilling to be with you, and um, I, I want to, um, I want to share with you another thing that that came uh, from your experience and and from your writing. It was really about um, how to. Well, here we go again. It's like treating people like they matter, like they're not just they're not just a number they 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 have their own uh desires uh of of growing and it's our job as leaders to you know water them and 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 get the most we can by them developing themselves in the way they most want to with challenges at work with their personal lives and that kind of thing you 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 most business leaders make that huge distinction between personal life and work life and, and you know, I've, I've heard it my whole career. You don't bring your personal stuff to work, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's just the old school Neanderthal way of saying, I don't really care about what's going on in your life. That doesn't matter to me. It's here. Here it is. Nuts and bolts, profit and loss. And, and you know, here we are. We're still, pe people are still operating that way. Yeah. Uh, and again, as I said, listen, I'm preaching capitalism mm -hmm. not marxism right what i mean by that is and god there are truckloads of evidence yeah. if you pay attention to people in the long term you grow and you make money now you know it, it, it it's just i'm not a softy i'm a balance sheet guy i Hardly. want your balance sheet to be better take care of your people they'll take care of your customers and the customers will you know, we'll take care of the of the cash flow, uh, and, and that's the part I think that bugs me, bugs me the most, frankly. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to add because Shelley is going to cut us off. I, I just did a tweet. You know, I've got some master slide presentation with everything I've ever done, which is four thousand slides long. But you yeah. know, I just did a tweet, and the tweet said, or the tweet I said. Here is my favorite quote of all time. Mm -hmm. And it was, is, from Henry Clay, this American statesman, courtesies mm -hmm. of a small and trivial character are the ones which strike deepest in the grateful and appreciating heart. 
Mm, beautiful. And the wonderful thing that could, you know, be biblical on the one hand, I call myself, incidentally, I don't darken that many ch church doors. I call myself lowercase r, religious. <laughs> and, and every message I'm talking about will work as well for an atheist as yes. it will for a Catholic yes. who goes to mass six yes. times a week at 7 a.m. Yes. Uh, but the, the little thing is, is it's always the little touch that you remember. And I get sick and tired sometimes of revolution, disruption, destruction. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're only going to master the disruption if there are a lot of people who are pulling together and trying to grow together. There was, you know, there was, I used a, not a quote, it was a quote out of a book, but it was about Doug Conant, who was the CEO of Campbell's Campbell. yeah. year. And during the 10 years, he penned, and by yep. the word penned, I mean hand wrote 30,000 thank you notes to employees. And I did the calculation and it's something like 12 per working day. But, and then, and then there was a guy who I featured in Search of Excellence. Uh, his name was Tate Elder and he was the division general manager at 3M. He was not a youngster. And a few years later, he attended the seminar and he had just gone through his retirement party. And I had been BSing about what we're BSing about. And he said, Todd, pull me aside. He said, let me tell you why you're right. And I said, okay, I can handle that. He said, at my retirement party, one of the guys who'd worked with me for a long time came up and he almost had tears in his eyes. And he thanked me mm. for a thank you note that mm. I had sent him 10 years ago that he still had post of his cubicle doesn't it sadden you though tom that that's that doesn't it it saddens me it's a beautiful story but it saddens me well, yeah. that that he that he reacted to that because it probably happened so infrequently <laughs> in his career I, I will i will say since you're talking to me from augusta uh i grew up in baltimore but my mother was southern born she was a virginian and i said to somebody i'm quite sure my mother loved me but the main thing she left behind was courtesy. Mm -hmm. And I said, you want a description of courtesy? Uh, we are unwrapping presents under the Christmas tree. And the aunts and the uncles sent them. And there's a pretty big pile of presents. We get halfway through. I said, halfway through the damn present opening thing. My mother sits me down and says, I want thank you notes to everybody who, who sent you a present. And it's a little exaggeration, but it, it is those little trivial things. And, and, you know, I've got some problems with, what's happening south of the Mason-Dixon line, including in the place from which you are speaking to oh, us. Oh, we can talk. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but that's not the point. The point is, the, just, I, I said to somebody, just because I've gotten in trouble, I was, was getting something done. Oh my God, where was I? Just a couple of days ago, oh, it was at a UPS store and there was a youngish woman, she, woman, she maybe in her 30s. And I, I said, thank you, ma'am. And I said, now, I said, now, listen, I said, sometimes I piss people off when I've said that. I've had a woman say back to me in response, I am not that old. Right. I said, this young woman, she said I wasn't offended. I said, listen, my mother's been dead for 16 years, but she's never died. And I said, look, I say thank you, ma'am, to mm. 17, or thank you, sir, to 17-year-olds who've just yeah. gotten out of juvenile jail. 
It's just, it's what you do. And it's ma'am and it's sir. And that I'm not arguing for that. And that is a little bit over the top, but it, it is those small acts of caring that it, two things again, and I want to emphasize it. One, it gives you a better chance of get, getting into heaven instead of going, mm-hmm. getting into hell. And two, it's better for business. Yes. Uh, you know, there's this wonderful thing, and it's a, almost a good quitting point. Uh, David Brooks, the, uh, the New York Times mm-hmm. columnist, author, etc., cetera, uh, had a column, I think it comes out of one of his books, and he said, he described the difference between two things. And the one thing is what he called the resume variables. And yes. the other thing is what he called the eulogy variables. Oh, I love that. That's in your book. Yep. Yeah. The, re- the resume says he graduated from Cornell University with a 4.7 grade point average. Uh, he went into the Navy, accomplished this. He was promoted seven times, all the technical stuff. The eulogy virtues are exactly what they sound like. What do people say at your funeral? Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 you know, my two translations of that are going back to the earlier comment. If you're heavy on the eulogy virtues, A, St. Peter may let you into the right place instead of sending you to hell. And B, guess what? Your bank account will have been bigger. There you go. Uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, that's, 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 and, oh, and the, and the second point, which is aimed at probably managers, but 26-year-old managers as well as 46-year-old managers, the day comes to an end. How's your eulogy virtue score mm. for the day? Mm. Have you, you know, just take, it, it's what you said in your other thing. Have you just pulled somebody aside who, you know, was kind of in a grouchy mood at the meeting and he's never usually in a grouchy mood. And I said, listen, be a grouch is perfectly fine with me, but is there anything going on I ought to know about? And not in terms of work, but, you know, the, the, the I remember the great Duke basketball, not was, is Coach K. Yeah. He had a 27-letter Polish name, and I'm sorry to say that I could not – uh, possibly Me neither. Correctly, Me neither. But Coach K, and he said one time, I don't know what a, a regular season NCAA season is. I think it's probably thirty games. He said, "I never, ever, ever field the same team twice." Mm. Tom on April the ninth yeah. is not Tom on yeah. April fifteenth. He flunked an exam. He's got a girlfriend problem whatever it is. And he also said, which I found highly amusing, he said, I always invite my wife to the team meetings because she has a sixth sense of what's going on in Tom's head. And, and it's just, it's, again, it's just that attention to where the person is. And one, one, you know, you've been kind in mentioning my book and there's one book I want to mention to you because you effectively referred to it. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Matthew Kelly, and he wrote a book called The Dream Manager. Yeah. And his point was, every employee who works for you has a dream. Yeah. He said, suppose you're, forget Google. He said, suppose uh, you are running a housekeeping department. He said, in that housekeeping department is a woman 
by the name of Anne, and she is a single mom mm-hmm. and trying to raise two kids, and she's got two jobs. He said, here's what you can do for her. You can help her. She, he said she has a dream. Yes. And the dream is to just start out by taking a single course in a local community college. And he said, you know, your job as a boss is dream fulfillment and not big stuff, not put a million dollars in the bank, but just be able to make some little step down the path and slightly up the hill. And then he said what, you know, I've been saying for this whole time together, he said, and guess what? The housekeeping department will be 10 times more effective in its service. And as we know, statistically, you know, once we get back to F2F, he said, in a big hotel, who has the most face-to-face contact with the customer? Absolutely. Hey, Tom, um, last thing I want to say is that you want to make some more money because I think I think that we need to uh, go into workplaces, the physical places, offices, uh, go into the C-suite and say, why would your people want to come back to work? Yeah. Why, would they, why would they want to stop working from home? And what are we going to be to yeah. make them go, I don't want to work at home anymore. I want, I want this. And I don't think people have an answer right now, but that, no, I, that would be a, that'd be a very cool thing to do. And it would be, I, I'm sure there are people who do it and they do it better than me. But anyway, uh, this has been an incredibly boring conversation. I know I feel about, the same way about taking care of people and saying thank you. And, you know, we haven't provided anything that will immediately go on a spreadsheet Nonetheless, it's been a great conversation, and I don't know what your ending is, but my ending is I am still blown away, and because I can read body language better than most people, I know, I know you were speaking the truth. I am blown away by your introduction, and I will either never forget it or I will remember it for a long time, and uh, this thank has you. been a real treat, and I, and I thank you. And we obviously both care about the same thing. So we probably bored the hell out of everybody. No, it's wonderful. And Shelly, we're, we're apologizing to you, Shelly. One more thing, Tom, I have a friend, he's an acquaintance. He is the chief culture officer of 15.5, which is a progressive company out of San Francisco. He would love to have you on his podcast. Can I just, can I just say, uh, talk to Shelly or the best person to talk to? Absolutely. Send, send Shelly, send Shelly uh, an email with, yeah. a, with an email address for this gentleman. And uh, we're we'll because of the new book, we're doing a fair amount of this. Wonderful. And, and we will do our best to schedule. He's the real deal. He's the real plus, deal. Plus, I lived in the Bay Area for 30 right. years. You That's know, right. when, when the Silicon Valley world comes up. Uh, yeah, I'm there. Uh, All the best to you, sir. And thank okay. you for your time. I, I really enjoyed it. I appreciate oh, thank it. You. Back at thank you. Thank you so much. Take Bye-bye. care.
that was a rare treat in my life. Thank you for joining me with Tom Peters. Next time we're going to be talking to Paul Higdon. He's an author and he's the founder of Little Boost Children's Fund. Paul wrote the book Hope in a Future, Life, Survival, and Renewal on the Streets of an African Slum. We'll also be joined by John Mina. He plays a major role in Hope in a Future, and we get to talk to him along with Paul. So do join us. If you want more bookcasts, you can find them in audio form, www.anchor.fm forward slash Doug fine. And if you'd like to look at my website and see what I might be able to do for you, it's www.dougjfine.com. Again, as always, thanks for joining us on the Defined Engagement Bookcast. And I hope to see you again next time with Paul Higdon. Bye-bye for now.